You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. The scripture today is from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. Be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I never got to play Mary in the Christmas pageants when I was young. My friends Sarah and Lisa always got to, but I never did. I had a muskrat haircut, and it just didn't really match Mary, so I was usually a shepherd. But I always wanted to be Mary. And then when I became an adult, and when my daughter Allison was a baby, we got to be the Holy Family. And then uh, at Orchard, where I previously served, we had an outdoor nativity uh, scene. And so we got to play the Holy Family, and I got to be Mary, and my kids got to be shepherds. And Allison never complained about being a shepherd. Mary is the queen of the nativity. When I was a girl and I would put out the nativity, I loved it. I loved to take Mary out with her long blonde hair and her blue dress and her blue eyes. Maybe not a very culturally accurate depiction of Mary, but I, I always loved that because Mary was the one. She had the power over who got to see the baby Jesus. She treasured everything in her heart. She was the one who said yes to God and to the little drummer boy. And she was young and innocent and perfect, and today is her day. Once a year, we talk about Mary, because we're Protestants, and that's all we can handle. We don't know what to do with Mary. We don't want to worship her. We don't want to hold her as the feminine ideal, so we talk about her once a year. Nadia Bowles-Weber said, I realize that many mainline Protestants don't know what to do with Mary. It's like Roman Roman Catholics have dibs on her, 
And we just have to stand by, only dusting her off once a year to be the pretty young girl in the nativity set, and then putting her quickly away before she embarrasses anyone. Which is sad, because there are many reasons to love Mary. I'm jealous of the Catholics in this one. In fact, I had a friend, or I have a friend, Jenny, who is Catholic. She was raised Catholic, and she's raising her family Catholic. But in college and and, uh, medical school, she had a little bit of a crisis of faith and began to wonder if she wanted to still be Catholic because it didn't always match some of her beliefs. But in the end, she decided she couldn't leave the Catholic Church because she loved Mary so much and didn't want to give up Mary. You see, our problem with only talking about Mary once a year is that we reduce her to this sweet thing, young and innocent, and it's nice to have this ideal for the mother of Jesus. She agreed, she kept quiet, she was docile, But that depiction maybe isn't what we want to hold up for our daughters as an ideal. And yes, she was young and perhaps innocent, but there was something else to her as well, because she didn't just sit there and smile. She didn't keep her mouth shut. The angel Gabriel addresses Mary, and that address is called the Annunciation. The Annunciation follows Old Testament patterns. It begins with, do not be afraid, as when happens when any angel appears in the Old Testament. It's an assurance of God's favor. Unlike Elizabeth's announcement just a few year, verses earlier, hers was an answer to prayer, Mary's comes out of nowhere. Mary's sitting at home, She's getting married in a bit. She's not praying for a child, at least at this point. She's still living at home with her parents, taking care of the house. And the last thing that she's thinking about is a baby, at least right now. And here comes an angel with an announcement that she's going to have a baby. And the first thing that Mary said is, Let it be with me according to your will. Mary trusted. She didn't argue. She went along with it. Nadia Bowles-Weber said, I wonder if I had been in her place, which would be harder for me to believe? The part about being pregnant by God and giving birth to a king, or the part where the angel said I was favored? And yet, as Joel Chase said, Mary believed. She remembered All those Uncle Arthur bedtime stories. She remembered the time God washed Pharaoh's army in the sea and remembered when God God fed the wandering Israelites with manna and quail. She remembered when Nebuchadnezzar nibbled grass like a cow and remembered when the child Yoash became king. Mary remembered God's characteristic blessing and exalting of the humble and knew it to be true again in her very self. It wasn't hard for Mary to believe that God could find favor with her. I wonder, would it be hard for us to believe in God's favor? We, too, have the same Bible stories. We have the same messages, and we grow up in Sunday school hearing we love because God first loves us. But I wonder, do we really believe that God has found favor in us? 
I'm here to tell you that Mary had no more favor than we do. She was young, she was poor, she was engaged. But the difference between Mary and us is that she trusted. She trusted God, she trusted her faith, and she trusted that God would find favor in her. Anne Weems is a poet, and I love her writing. She often writes about scripture and faith experience, and she has a poem called Mary Nazareth Girl. Mary Nazareth Girl, what did you know of ethereal beings with messages from God? What did you know of men when you found yourself with child? What did you know of babies, you barely out of childhood yourself? God-chosen girl, What did you know of God that brought you to this stable, blessed among women? Could it be that you had been ready, waiting, listening for the footsteps of an angel? Could it be there are messages for us if we have the faith to listen? Do we? Do we have the faith to listen? Look at Mary's story. She trusted, she believed in God's favor, she believed in God's love for her. What would your life be if you really believe that God loves you? If you really believe that you are God's beloved, if you had the faith to listen for God's message of love for you. That's why Christ came. Not for us to feel guilty or unworthy. No, see, we were getting it wrong for years, and God knows people still get it wrong all the time in the name of Christianity. It's not a new thing. But since the beginning of time, people were getting God's love wrong. So God came down once and for all to tell us, you are my beloved, I love you, and there's nothing that you can do to take away that love. And we still don't believe it at our core. Mary is special because she did. She didn't argue with God over being favored or not. She trusted, she accepted, and then she proclaimed. She proclaimed truth to power. You see, the other thing that Mary did is what many of us would do in her shoes. She went to go and see a friend to process all of this with her friend. And so she visits her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth is older and she's also pregnant. And when Mary enters Elizabeth's home, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps, leaps. We know that that baby is John the Baptist who prepared the way. And that jumping is a validation of Mary's call. Mary's response to her call is a prophetic poem that calls for God to overthrow the social order, to feed the hungry, and to send away the rich empty at hand. We call it the Magnificat. And the message translation of the Magnificat is like this. I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me, and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. 
He bared his arms and showed his strength, scattered the, the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses and pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. That doesn't sound quiet and innocent. It sounds strong and faithful. Mary has caught God's vision. Her trust and acceptance of God's favor enables her to see God's vision for all. In just a short time, she knows what it's all about. This incarnation, God becoming human, and all that means for the world. It's an upside-down kingdom of sorts, where God's love is not just for some, but for all, not just for those in power. There's actually a preference for the weak. God became human to show us all a different way. And that starts with accepting that love for ourselves. When we accept that we are favored, that God can love even us, we learn to love ourselves. And it's no longer about us and our needs. The needs of the world become even more prevalent. Injustice becomes all the more visible and we are no longer able to be complacent. Instead, we are moved to give birth to the incarnation as we act out of love and God's love becomes visible. We talk about Mary, meek and mild, but here's the thing. Her song, the Magnificat, her acceptance of her role shows us that she wasn't going to raise this kid to be submissive. She was going to raise the Son of God to care for the poor, to love the outcast, to bring peace to the world, and to die trying. I wonder what it would look like if each and every one here saw in yourself what God sees in you. What could happen If you believed what God believes about you, if you loved yourself the way God loves you, what could we together do if we all believed that we are God's beloved? How could we change the world? We might find ourselves raising the incarnation as Christ is seen in each face and love is our mode of operation. Once more, Nadia Bowles-Weber said, There is a reason that Mary is everywhere. I've seen her image all over the world. Images of Mary remind us of God's favor. Mary is what it looks like to believe that we are already who God says we are. Think about that. What would it take for you to believe that you are who God says you are? If a 14-year-old girl can do it, why can't we? And what could happen if we do? What lives might change? What differences might be made? What injustices might be remedied? In this season when the word believe is all over everything and everyone is told to believe in the magic of Christmas, I'm going to tell you to also believe. 
Believe in God's favor. Believe in God's vision for you. Believe in God's love for you because that's really what Christmas is all about and because this world needs you to believe that and act upon it now more than ever. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.